Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It says in Exodus 20, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And you know, based on what we're reading here, that's true. Honor them. If you were to strike a parent back in these days, you were put to death. And how many kids today are slapping their mothers or pushing them around the kitchen? How many of them have, have, have spoken evil against their, their parents? swore at their parents in their face right in front of them how many how often is that happening right now as we speak there are several homes in this city where that is happening right now how amazing is your love Today on Truth in Christ, God explains rules for a rebellious son. Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us. Pastor Rob finalizes chapter 21 in the book of Deuteronomy by reviewing God's rules on dealing with a rebellious son. In the Old Testament times, God made it very clear on how to deal with the problems listed in this chapter. By setting rules to deal with a rebellious son, God not only saw it as dealing with sin, but also developing a deterrent to sin in the future. We all know that this is something that's lacking in our society today. If you have your Bible handy, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and follow along with Pastor Rob. Value for life, they'll kill their own people. I don't know if you know this, but it's been uncovered a number of times. You'll never see it on the news. But whenever Israel, whenever Gaza, for instance, will throw a bunch of bombs over into Israel, and Israel will go in, and they know exactly where a lot of things are. they got really good intelligence. They know exactly where they're launching them from. And what they'll do, what the Palestinians will do, is they will put kids, they will launch these things on the top of schools. They'll put the rocket launchers on top of a school of their own children. And then when Israel bombs it, then they show pictures of uh, maybe a child was, was killed, and you know, not necessarily that thing. They'll, they'll even fake things. They'll put ketchup or something on a child and lay him in the street, and he's just act like you're dead, and, and this is what Israel did. And they do that all the time. They launch them from hospitals, elderly places where el- the elderly are. They do this all the time. And why? Because they want to give a black eye on, the, on, on Israel. But notice that God cares about the value of life and the dignity of people. The devil doesn't value life or human dignity, and neither do those who are controlled by Satan. You know, there are many people in the world who are serving a God of religion who has no value for life. And in doing what they do, they expose the source of that deity that they serve. Because like I said, the God of Islam, he's capricious. One day I'm this way and the next day I'm different and I'm just, the rules are kind of slippery, they kind of bend, I just kind of make them up as I go. That's the way it is for Islam and they will kill you if you don't agree with him, just for not agreeing. 
You can disagree with God. He's not going to kill you. I mean, ultimately, if you take your last breath and you haven't confessed your sin, there's going to be problems. But he, he lets you live. He lets you live. It was reported, um, you know, and there are governments like this. You know, even Israel, when they were under the bondage of Rome, it was reported that Caesar Augustus, on hearing of Herod's execution of his own sons, and one of his sons, Antipater, he made this pun that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because there was no value of life. The Romans didn't value life. And yet God values life. And that's what this whole thing is about. What we're reading tonight is God showing and, and, and giving examples and saying, this is what you do in this situation. You know, if you see this woman that you, she's really beautiful, and you, you're going to war with this city, and everyone's dead in her family, and she's there by herself, and you, you want to be with her, take her into your home, let her mourn for a month, and then take her to be your wife. But if you don't want her to have her be your wife, then let her go. And don't harm her. Don't do anything to her. Let her go. Does that sound like a God of grace? It sounds like a God of grace to me. That's the God we serve. And see, that's what's so fantastic about all of this that we're reading. It's just God's love and his laws and his government that he's setting up. His theocracy. Would the God that we had a theocracy, things would be so much different. One day there's going to be a theocracy. When Jesus comes back on the throne, <laughs> there's going to be a theocracy. You know, I can't wait for that day. And, I, and, and I'm looking forward to that day, not just so that all the enemies of God, will, their jaw will hit the ground and, and, and they'll be ashamed for you know, what they've done. And God doesn't delight in that either. I, could care, I, I don't really worry about that, but just to see him, the perfection, the, the, the love, I mean, the embodiment of everything perfect. There's nothing more perfect than him. I mean, can you imagine being in the presence of God? Everything that he is is 100%, and it, it defies description. Everything, every angle, every facet of his character is pristine and without sin. It's like a, a bright light that you can't even approach. I don't know about you, but that lifts me into a different place of worship, doesn't it, you? That's who we serve, and that's how he is to people. That's how he loves. That's so thankful for him. And then it goes on in verse 15. It says, If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and if the, person, if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on that day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons, that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Okay, and that's been the way it is in Israel from the very beginning. That was what it's supposed to be. Now, God, of course, has the right to intervene in that process at any time, and we've seen that in the biblical account. We've seen it with Isaac. You know, even though, uh, I'm sorry, even in Abraham. Well, we'll start with Abraham first. You know, with Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was born out of unbelief. Abraham and Sarah were too old. Sarah says, you know, just take my handmaid, Hagar. I'm too old. So he does. That's one place where you don't listen to your wife, Abraham. Don't listen to her. So he listened to her. 
and we know what happened. But you know what? Even though Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn in a sense, God chose Isaac. He chose Isaac for reasons we don't understand. Now, does that mean that Ishmael was was poor and, and uncared for? No, God cared for Ishmael and his, his line. He cared for them. They were very prosperous. But the promise would come through Isaac and his seed. The, not only the land of Israel and all of that it encompassed, but also the fact that you know, their seed would be uh, innumerable as the sand of the sea. And through their line would come the Messiah, the Anointed One. That promise was given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you look at Isaac. What about Isaac and Rebekah? She has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau comes out first. He's the firstborn. Jacob comes after second. And what does the Bible say? That the older would serve the younger. Esau would ultimately serve Jacob. And we'll see that even in the millennial reign. We'll see that um, throughout history. But even though Esau was the firstborn, God chose Jacob and had given him the promises that he gave to Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham. God has the right to intervene in this process of his own rule that he made. He has the right to choose one and choose the other. Is it fair? No, it's not fair. But remember, God is fair. And I've said it before that God is not fair. And I'm not confused when I say that. He's just. And he can be fair and he can be unfair, but it's not going to be in such a way where it's going to harm anybody. It's, it's God's choice. It's his, his will being done. Was it fair that Esau wasn't chosen, but Isaac was? No, it wasn't fair. Esau would have a temper tantrum, you know, stomping and kicking on the ground. Why didn't you choose me? Why didn't you choose me? He did, actually. He had a temper tantrum. He begged his father. And was Esau left out in the cold? No. He was given much. And the Bible tells of his descendants, the dukes that would come out of him, the kings that would come out of him. Okay, but the promise goes through Isaac. God has the right to do that. He's a just and a holy God. And then it goes on here in verse 18, and it talks about a rebellious son. It says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, who, who notice, who will not, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. Notice the process that has already happened here. The son will not obey the voice of the father and the mother. They will not do it. And even though they've chastened him, even though they've tried to correct him, he will not heed them. Have you ever had a stubborn child like that? A child that is so bent on their own way? And I've seen some kids, I mean, I thought I was stubborn, but I've seen some kids who are like a, like, they're like a steelhead. It's like you can, you, could, you can spank them all day long and they'll just laugh. And they'll just continue doing what they're doing. How do you deal with a human being like that? Oh, Lord, help. I pity the parents who have those children. That are, that their wills are like iron. But one thing that's good is once they give their heart to Christ, that child is completely hook, line, and sinker. Nobody's going to take the, the, the cross away from them. Oh, no. They're going to be the ones that will give their very life for Christ. So thank God for those strong-willed kids. But getting them to the cross is the whole thing. But notice... If the son will not obey the voice of his father and mother, when they have chastened him, if he still does not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take him, they'll take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, 
And they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. Can you imagine the kid being held by their father and their mother and they're taking him out to the gate? The kid knows what's coming. Can you imagine the horror of that as a parent? Can you imagine the horror of that as being a child who, is, who that's happening to? And then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, and so you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel, notice, shall hear, and they will fear. We don't have that in our culture today. There's very little that happened to anybody today that is, um, except, for the, except for the handful of states in our country that still hold to the death penalty, um, and, and many of them are dropping off the face, they're, 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 they're pulling back that law as we go, and therefore there's no deterrent for sin. The worst thing that could happen to me is I get to go into, and, I, and again, I don't want to diminish you know, the, the horrors of prison. There is a bad part of prison. But you get three squares a day. You get a shower. You get your own personal toilet, which is really cool. And you'll even get your education if you want it. There's some states who allow you to get your degree. You can come out with a master's degree, and you don't even have to pay for it. It's pretty cool. Let me see, I spent $110,000 on my education. If I'd have just knocked over a bank and then got into the into prison, then I could have just had my degree in, col- or in, in, in prison. Right? Only in America. And again, you know, there's compassion, there's love, and, and I totally get it. You know, there's, but the, my point is, there's very little deterrent for sin any longer. There's very little deterrent for doing wrong. Kids... Young adults are learning that crime does pay. It does pay. We are not to be prodigals. A prodigal is one who is given over to riot, to excess. It's an abandoned, dissolute life. That's what a prodigal is. And aren't you glad that Jesus leaves the 99 and he goes after the one prodigal? And in the, in the account in Luke 15... When the father sees the son coming, his son had spent all of his inheritance on wine, women, and song, and, you know, have a drink around the house, everybody, you know, uh, the round's on me, guys, and he's got all this money, and he, he blows it all. And when he hits rock bottom, aren't you glad that God runs, his father runs after him when he sees him, this disheveled figure coming down the road who used to be a strong man, who used to have resolve, used to have a dignity about them, and now he's just coming toward me, and I can barely, under, barely understand and see the, the frame of him anymore. Who is this? And then he realizes, hey, wait a minute. That's my son. And he takes off after him. He runs after him. And see, that's the God that we serve. He comes after you because of his great love for you. It says in Exodus 20, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And you know, based on what we're reading here, that's true. Honor them. If you were to strike a parent back in these days, you were put to death. And how many kids today are slapping their mothers or pushing them around the kitchen? How many of them have have spoken evil against their, their parents? swore at their parents in their face right in front of them how many how often is that happening right now as we speak there are several homes in this city where that is happening right now they're screaming and yelling at each other kids yelling and screaming obscenities at their parents so why was the rebellious son 
stoned by the men of the city? Well, think of this. The men of the city, they would know the person involved, wouldn't they? If you live in a small little city like that, you're going to know everybody. Everybody knows everybody. And the men of the city, they would know this person involved and know whether this is really true or not. Is it true? They would know. They would know that so-and-so's son is a troublemaker. He has been ever since he was born, and here he is. They would know, and two or three witnesses would be able to to know concerning whether a child was rebellious and continuing to be so even after discipline. And they would also do it as a deterrent. The, The elders of the city would do it as a deterrent. They would think of their own children and perhaps make sure that their own kids didn't go down this road. Because once you see it once, believe me, you have something that severe happening in any community, and all of a sudden your antenna goes up, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the most horrible thing I've witnessed. Imagine parents bringing a child out, your only child even, and can you imagine you and and the elders of the city having to stone your own child? And God says, you have to do it, because if you don't, others are watching, and it's going to breed contempt if you don't. And other kids are going to look at it and say, wow, they got away with it? Hmm. I'm going to get away with it too. And everybody does it. And God says, if you deal with it harshly once, everyone is going to hear. And what are they going to do? They're going to fear. They're going to fear. And again, in our culture, we've lost all of that. And we are reaping the results of it. We're reaping the results. And they would also begin to question themselves as to whether they were watching and listening that they might have been a part of preventing this from happening in the first place. That's what I love about a body like ours. You know, Even though my daughter is 12 years old, I know that other people are looking out for her. I know that I can be in here and she can be up in the cafe with her friends and I'm not worried about somebody coming in and grabbing her and taking her. They would have to pull probably 10 or 12 people off of that person because everybody knows who she is and we all know who your kids are. We have to be watching And whenever we see one going astray, we need to be honest and and, and talk to them or talk to their parents and say, you know what, there's a behavior that I just want you to be aware of. And see, we have to do that. We're all parents of all these kids. Let's do that. Let's have an eye out for each one of them and love them and nurture them. And and when they go wrong, we need to be able to lovingly take them to their parents and, 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 and talk about that and have these things corrected, hopefully. But these men, they would bring this this son and maybe they'd begin to question themselves, you know, why didn't, where was I? Was I so checked out? Was I so busy that I just didn't care what so-and-so's child was doing? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. We are each. We're the keeper of each of us. We need to be watching There is nothing more dangerous in a society than when the adults and those in authority do not practice discipline or exact due punishment. Chastisement. There's nothing more dangerous when that ceases to happen. And that is where we are at today. It's where we're at today. Again, we don't promote beating children. I mean, that's far from the truth. You know, you don't don't beat a child. My mother never went overboard, even in her anger. She never went overboard, in my opinion. I thought maybe she gave me a spanking a little too, two or three too many times, maybe. But I lived, and I'm fine. <laughs> I learned something from it. I'm not promoting anybody doing that, but you know what? When God says that we need to, we need to exact discipline, we need to do that. 
lovingly and measured, and we have to do it rightly, not out of anger. But then it goes on in this chapter and says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he, has, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, and his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Notice that. He who is hanged is accursed of God. It's interesting, the Jews' form of capital punishment was stoning, wasn't it? It was stoning. And sometimes what they would do is they would stone, and then maybe, according to the scripture here, they might hang that person up as a deterrent. And the, the, the Romans, if you remember, this was their favorite form of, of torture. But they would actually do, go a little further. They wouldn't stone you and then put you up on a, hang you on a tree for everyone to see. They would actually kill you on the tree and let you suffer. I'd rather, I think I'd rather just be hit with a rock once. I'm unconscious, and then they finish me off with the ro- other rocks. I don't, I'm not even aware of it. I check out, and I'm done. It's over. But crucifixion, friends, is a whole different matter. We don't have time to go into it, but it's a horrific torture. The Persians invented it, and the Romans mastered the art of keeping people alive as long as they wanted to on the cross. Men would actually beg for death on the cross. And if if the Roman government hated you that much, they could actually give you supports and hold you up so that you could actually take breaths, and you could actually live a few days. And then they would take those supports away, and then you'd suffer some more, and they could keep you alive until you were just begging them to spear you. That's how torturous they were. But here we see that this is perhaps a a reference of Jesus' crucifixion. We know that it says in Galatians that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in the Psalms, even a thousand years before Jesus was even born, before the Persians even invented the, the art of crucifixion, what does it say in that? It says, they pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. They pierce my hands and my feet. David, a thousand years before Christ was born, was prophesying of the way he would go. It would have been more proper as a Jew, and knowing that the Messiah would be a Jew, to say, they threw big rocks at my head. But no, he said something different because God is the author of history. It's his story. It's history. It's his story. And God knew what would actually happen. And Jesus despised, rejected. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. The Bible says that he made his soul an atonement for our sin. And that's why tonight we're going to take communion. When we think about what Jesus did on the cross... He did it once and for all. We don't support the doctrine or the teaching that says that we can come in to a place and we can have a sacrifice over and over and over again, the sacrifice of the Mass. No, it happened once on the cross. It happened once. <laughs> There's no need for us to reenact it again. And when we, do, when we take the, the bread and the cup, we don't reenact Jesus' death on the cross. We remember. Remember he said that? Remember. You do this in remembrance of me, and by doing this, you remember me in my death until I come. You remember my death until I come for you. And that's why we do this. We take it in remembrance of him. 
Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.